Hey, what's up, y'all? Will with Schedule Fly here. This episode is with Drew Moore in Carborough, North Carolina, and I really, really enjoyed hanging out with Drew. Um, I had not met him before. I had not spoken to him before, and we sat down in B-Side Lounge, which um, uh, was not open at the time. Um, it opens for dinner, and it's one of his three places, and we just hung out and just talked about his story and um, I mean, he's been in the business for a long time. I sort of, you know, grew up uh, starting in kitchens early on and went to Hyde Park to the Culinary Institute of America. Um, he apprenticed over in Italy and New York and some other places and uh, has had a really interesting career. And he opened his first place, Venable Bistro, in 2010 and proceeded over the next five years to open four places. So a, just a crazy schedule. And he actually closed one of them just two months ago after three years. So we talk, it was interesting talking about that. It was interesting talking about everything. Um, he's had quite a bit of success at the other three. And the fourth uh, didn't work out. And we talked about why and what he's learned. And just a great dude, very authentic, very open, very candid, really interested in, in learning himself and um, I just, God, I just had a great time with him. So enjoy the episode. And we will have more coming soon. Thanks for listening, y'all. See ya. All right. We are live. Hey, everybody. Will with Schedulefly here, and I'm in Carborough, North Carolina this morning, hanging out with Drew Moore. Um, Drew has several places here. He's got um, Venable Bistro and B-Side Lounge, which is where we're hanging out right now, and The Station, um, which are all kind of right I mean, obviously, the, the two of these are connected. Where is the station right across the way here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Stone's Throw. Okay. All yeah. right. Wh- which one did you start first? Uh, Venable. Venable? Mm-hmm. 2012. 2012. All right. How did you get into... What's your backstory, man? How did you get into hospitality? Uh, starting to get into some trouble around 12, and parents hmm. thought I needed a job, and uh, they had some friends that owned a restaurant, and they you know hooked it up and i started uh busing uh there when i was 12 the restaurant was called mama's boy and everybody thought i was the mama's boy and uh that's awesome you know uh wound up moving to dishwashing and uh and just kind of liked the the kitchen scene and you know uh the banter and 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 the stress and the kind of camaraderie of it all and uh moved up you know, through high school, I'd become, you know, line cook and moved through prep and pantry. And this place was an Italian. Uh, they had entrees, but they also had pizzas and calzones. So we did, I did the pizzas and then onto the line. And, uh, you know, when it came time to, uh, to decide on college, you know, my grades weren't great because I was skiing all the time and, and working. So I, uh, but I, I was able to get into the CIA in, in uh, New York. And so I went to culinary school there, and I did the two years, uh, two-year associates to start. And then uh, when I was on externship in New York, I worked for an Italian chef named Mauro Mafrici, and he hooked it up for me to go um, live and work in Italy. And so I was supposed to go back to school and go to do the second two years, which will get you the bachelor's. And instead, I left and, and went over to Italy and cooked and lived above the restaurant, which was a just phenomenal, Holy phenomenal cow. experience. I mean, uh, spent a couple of years doing that and um, came back. I had always... Where were you in Italy? 
So we were in uh, Imola, which is just south uh, southeast of Bologna. So it's Emilia Romagna is the province. God, uh, rest- two years uh, living there, work. I mean, dude, uh, you're getting probably ten times as much as you're going to get in a yeah. Oh yeah, it was. I was. Uh, I started out in the Garmagee, and then I I moved to the fish station. We had I had five menus. And uh, there was a menu all fish, a menu a la carte, a menu of the day, a business menu, and uh, one other menu that was like a traditional Italian menu. And uh, you know, it was just crazy. Every every dish, five pan pickup. We all the fish came in live, and I had to kill it. And then I had this an entire room just for me to butcher fish in. And uh, so we, you know, it was yeah, it was it was a dream. Uh, and the restaurant was amazing. You know, we, the busiest Friday night, we would probably do 30 covers. And we'd do it with 16 cooks. And, <sighs> oh, <God. laughs> you know, it was awesome. And there's a, there's a racetrack in Imola. Uh, and so they would, it's not on the Formula One tour anymore, but it used to be. And, and uh, so the race would come in and all of the different uh, car companies would have a different night at San Domenico so we would cook one night for Porsche and one night for McLaren and one night for Ferrari and you know they'd pull all their cars up out front it was just awesome really cool and uh, I had a girlfriend over there at the time so I I was you know there's nothing like a girl to motivate you to learn the language and so I was I was speaking pretty good Italian at the end of it uh, and I, I, I came back to the States with her and we traveled around for a little while. And then, uh, crazy thing was we, we, we ended in New York. We went to the top of the world trade center on, uh, September 9th, 2001. No kidding. With a picture of us at the top really? with the date on it. And, uh, she Holy flew cow. out the next day, September 10th. Oh. And I was in the city for the 11th. So really it was, Yeah. Well, you you would, but you were just traveling there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. my my dad lived in uh, Manhattan at the time. Oh my god! And uh, he worked for Con Ed, which is the power distributor for all of Manhattan. Oof. And uh, he called me. I it was I was sleeping. He called me. Said you got to get up. You got to go look at the trade center. I said, What are you talking about? He said a plane hit the trade center. You need to go look. And so I went down. Uh, you know, it was eight eight forty eight fifty in the morning. And I went down, turned the corner. I'll never forget. I turned the corner on Broadway, looked down at the towers. There's a one tower is smoking, and about 30 seconds later, this fireball just comes out of the second tower because you, you couldn't see the plane from the angle that where yeah, I it was. Yeah, com- right. it was coming from the south, and, and uh, yeah, that was wild. I mean, the, you know, the city burned for weeks, and uh, we had soot all over our windows, and I think the the safe the epa safe level of asbestos in the air is 0.5 and they were getting readings of four and four oh, yeah so that you know that that 9-11 cough 9-11 syndrome uh it's definitely a real real thing you know and the, uh those guys down there that were they're digging people out it was it was a it was an amazing time to be in the city it was it was sad but it was incredibly um awesome to see everybody kind of come together did you stay there for a while, or I was there for a couple of days, and then you know no one wanted to fly anywhere. No, I, was, I remember I was, that. Yeah, uh, slated to go back to Italy, and I called the chef and I said, "Man, I'm I, I'm not flying anywhere." Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine from culinary school decided that we were just going to drive out to Colorado, which is where I'm from, and and um, hang out there while 
you know, the dust settled, kind of figure out our next play. And so um, I wound up uh, working back in the restaurant where I grew up and uh, six months later went back to the culinary uh, to do finish my second two years, which is the bachelor part. So that's first two years is basically all cooking, and then the second okay. two years is essentially all management. Yeah. Um, and so we did that, and, and then um, I got the opportunity to go over to uh, Southeast Asia and, uh, you know, just kind of uh, trek around and eat and uh, hang out. So we went to Thailand and uh, Cambodia and uh, Angkor Wat and, you know, just had some awesome awesome experiences there just trying to get off the beaten path and you know uh i remember in cambodia we we uh we were kind of tired of of you know the the kind of backpacking food life and so we said we were going to splurge and we went to this french restaurant and it was you know super you know colonial french just yeah kind of legacy from when the french were there and uh we we ate i think we had like five courses you know there's four of us we drank uh, pitcher after pitcher of beer and we had wine and you know everything and when it was all said and done it was like 40 bucks (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that was the big splurge because i mean you know we were spending we were used to spending two dollars on on dinner and it was like four dollars for a night in a hotel or or a hostel uh, yeah, and, and then we went to a restaurant the next day. We, we were back on the kind of street food, and we went to a restaurant that was uh, basically there's just a a uh, concrete slab on the ground with a kind of a tent over it, you know, large enough for about six or eight picnic tables. And in the middle, they had the cooking equipment, and they had a, a refrigerator, and they called us. Uh, you know, we didn't speak Khmer, and they didn't they didn't have anybody that spoke anything close to English but so it was all hand gestures and um, miming and stuff and they pulled us over to the refrigerator they opened it up and they pointed there were two different kinds of meats in the refrigerator basically which meat do you want and you know that's roulette so we just said a little of both and uh, sat down and out comes this amazing you know, meals stir fry have no idea what it was or what was in it it was spicy as you know all get out and i remember my friend uh said you know i'm gonna eat one of these chilies i said you're crazy <laughs> and uh he ate it and it was he just turned purple oh okay. I mean, it was like red and purple he's just downing beer as fast as he can and we're laughing that was a good that was a good time it was a, a fun restaurant to be in and that was you know oh uh, they they would uh they had a Tupperware of rice that would go from table to table. So when your entree came, you would get the rice from the other table, and you'd eat off the rice, and then you'd hand it to the next table, and so on and so forth. It was great. Did so? So Southeast Asia and Italy. Did I mean? Did a lot of this inspire what you what you yeah. offer now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what we call it is is global comfort food at global at, comfort at Venable. Food. Yeah. So it's is was Venable your first mm-hmm. place that you I've opened uh, a couple places, but not that I've owned. I've okay. been on the on the opening staff, but okay. this is the first place I've opened. That Wh- why? How did you wind up in Carborough? Uh, so once I came back from Thailand, uh, I needed you know go somewhere, do something, next step. And um, one of my good friends from culinary school 
uh, was from Chapel Hill, grew up here. He was here, and uh, we were talking one day. He said, you should really come out here. The food scene's really awesome, and uh, the economy's good. It's a nice place to live. And my brother had moved to Greensboro uh, with his family, and uh, my cousin had gone to UNC and, and liked it, so I just thought, why not give it a try? So I moved out here. When was that? Uh, 2003. Okay. And uh, moved out here. I became the sous chef of the Siena Hotel, Il Palio restaurant. And uh, left that and went to uh, uh, help open the Federal, which is in Durham. Yeah, okay. Um, and then I, uh, uh, again, met a girl and uh, moved to, uh, she was, she was, she had just gotten into grad school at Harvard. And so she was moving and I had done a long distance relationship in the past with the, my Italian girlfriend. So uh, I knew that wasn't something I wanted to get back into. And uh, so I decided to move to Boston with her. And so we moved up to Boston and she started at Harvard and I got a job uh, at a restaurant called uh, Troquet. It's on Boston Common, uh, on Boylston Street, and that was that was that was like finishing school for me. That's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah, it was uh, the chef Scott Hubert was amazingly talented, and he uh, he had worked at you know, Park Avenue Cafe, and then he was the chef de cuisine at Veritas, and it was a very wine uh, centered restaurant, and uh, the owner Chris. Uh, was just an awesome guy to work for and he had he would go around and buy like people would inherit wine cellars and they didn't want it they just wanted money from it you know and so he would go in and buy buy out the whole wine collection so he would have all these incredibly rare um, old wines and he managed there are a few you know billionaires around boston he would manage their cellars for them and and help them move move sellers when they needed to move sellers and he would bring us in to help do that and so we would get you know sometimes the, the guy would be like oh i don't want that anymore or you guys can have it or and chris would would uh let us buy any of the wine in the cellar at cost hmm. and uh you know, so i i just took full advantage of it and that's where i started really i knew about wine i, I liked wine i uh you know, done a six-week wine class at, at CIA, but uh, there's nothing better than than the experience of drinking it uh, and and learning all about it. And uh, and then Scott, you know, was really great with uh, food pairings with wine because it was you know they had a they were very wine centric. Um, and so yeah, I worked there for a couple of years, and uh, it was. It was awesome. So we uh, wound up uh, marrying her, Vanessa, and uh, we moved back down to Chapel Hill because she was uh, from Chapel Hill, and uh, her family was here. And uh, so I started working for a little while for uh, the Tyler's Restaurant Organization. Oh, yeah. And uh, I worked for Tyler in Durham, and and then I was working in Carborough, and then kind of managing both kitchens and then uh we're was starting to help them with uh opening apex and designing the kitchen for that when uh i we we i had my first son um right around that time and was looking to try and i was working you know the the normal kind of 100 hours yeah and uh 
needed a change of pace, and so my uh, father-in-law asked uh, if I wanted to come join him in construction, which was a you know huge right turn. Wow! And uh, you know, at the time, construction was just booming, and and uh, so it was it was it was similar to. Uh, to managing a kitchen in the sense that it's kind of project management. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a series of th- steps that have to happen in sequence, and this can't happen before that happens. And, you know, I, I was fortunate. I learned a ton on the, along the way, and I had to work really hard to kind of get myself up to speed on the construction aspect of it. Um, but it was really fun. It was, you know, there was legal parts. There were uh, civil engineering components. There were... Uh, the construction of it, the the marketing and sales of it, I got to do all of it. So, we uh, we were building uh, condos. We were we were developing the land and then building the condos and uh, building single family houses. And I started to do some some remodeling of houses. And um, about uh, and so Vanessa around this time was had started her own business doing a thing called stroller strides, which is a mom baby fitness uh, classes and so she had partnered with fleet feet which is the shoe store across the street and um they had told her before they told anybody or or, you know that when they were starting to first tell people that uh they were moving and so their space was going to become available and so we went to uh carmel and just said i said i'll make them a stupid offer they'll refuse it and we'll just go you know go on our way and uh Sure enough, they accepted it. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, having ha- that construction background was a huge asset to me because I was able to be the general contractor on the restaurant, you know, cut that whole component of cost out and uh, did did a lot of the work myself, um, And but also had great contacts with subs who would, you know, ha- had more of a personal relationship with them, and so they would kind of you know, come on a dime, they'd work late, they'd, you know, I, we were, we had to cut through, so, for did pe- you buy it, is it, you, you bought it, or you, you just, this was a lease? Yeah, it's it? a lease, okay, yeah, okay, I okay. mean, for people that don't know, Carmel is, is, you know, the first, the first building that was built in Carborough was the train station, which is what is now the music venue that we have, which is okay, the God. station, okay, they went way outside of Chapel Hill, uh, to build the train station, one, so that soot and ash from the trains wouldn't bother people in Chapel Hill. And two, supposedly, so that students couldn't easily get to the train station and run away. And <laughs> okay. <laughs> so <laughs> once they built the train station, then uh, they built the mill right next to it so that they could get their goods to market. Okay. And uh, it became the largest cross-tie market in the world at the time. Cross-ties meaning the the wood you know yeah. logs underneath the train tracks when was this was uh, i think it was like turn of the century okay yeah, yeah. uh well actually no it would have been in the 1870s and 80s okay uh i think and then um they built the mill and the mill was a hosiery mill and it was owned uh by julian carr who uh carborough is named after got it okay um, and then, you know, Carborough then became a, a town because they had to have uh, places for the people in the mill to live. And so there's a there's a mill village component of Carborough. Uh, and then it just kind of expanded from there. Okay. 
So um, Carmel is, is huge, and we have just, you know, we've got about 5,000 square feet in it, but it's probably, I don't know, 75,000, 100,000 square feet. Okay. Um, Two-story. And, uh, but, you know, it's it was built in the late 1800s, and so it has this 18-inch uh, <laughs> thick solid brick wall is the exterior wall. And we had to put in... Uh, uh, we we widened some of the um, windows and we uh, had to put in an extra emergency door. And so we had to cut through this brick that had been curing since the 1800s in the time when they didn't spare any expense on building something for permanency. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we couldn't do it during the day because of the chains, the, the, the masonry saws would, would kick up so much dust and fumes that the, our neighbors were all complaining and, and noise. And so uh, we'd have to come in at night. We'd start at like 10 o'clock at night and we'd cut and there'd be a guy, there'd be a team on the inside with the saw and, a, and two uh, sledgehammers and there'd be a team on the outside with a saw and two sledgehammers and they'd cut and cut and cut and then you'd sledge and sledge and sledge and Jeez. cut and cut and cut. 18 and inches. Yeah. It took us, I think, four days to get through it. Yeah. And you'd go home, you know, six o'clock in the morning, take a shower, just be red dust. I mean, you couldn't see each other from the dust and the smoke and God. the, uh, you know, your, gla- your glasses on and your, your respirator and all that. It was, it was something else. So it was an interesting uh, experience putting a restaurant into a, you know, 200 year old building. Or when, when you say you made him a ridiculous offer, you don't need to get into the details, but you, you um, tell me a little bit about negotiating a good lease because that seems to be a really important part that you know some people may overlook early on because they just want to get open and they want to mm-hmm. get in there or whatever but then you've really got to have a, a, a lease that, that enables you to be there for you know a long time if you choose to and the restaurant is successful well you, you want both you want to be able to get out yeah you okay. know and right. you want to but you also want the option to stay in. How, how did you know how to negotiate a good lease? Was that from some of the construction? I think or? so. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm not a master of it. I, I've, I've, uh, studied business and, and, you know, went to school for it, but you know, I, I also try and, uh, read as much as I can about all different things. And, and then, you know, construction was definitely a good time to learn about uh, negotiation, negotiating the sales of houses and uh, what you could do, what you couldn't do. Um, you know, you always want to start uh, way, you know, you always want to, uh, well, one lesson that I learned when I was at the town council and, and we were going up to get approval for something and uh, I it had happened to be there earlier, and this developer who was a major, major developer, I mean, this guy's doing, he de- he's developing cities and, and huge projects, and he uh, went up and, and he was doing his initial proposal, outlining his initial proposal for this, uh, like, 15-story building that he wanted to put on this, what's pretty rural land right on the side of the highway and or uh, 15501 which is the kind of the parkway and the you know the town council was kind of freaking out about it and people would go up for comment and they'd say we can't have this 15 
story building right there it'll be so out of place it'll be crazy and what i realized was he didn't have any intention of putting a 15 story building there he just started the negotiation saying 15 stories when it was all said and done he put a five story oh, building he, there he anchored but he was able to say hey look i gave you guys yeah. all these concessions right i started with 15 stories right. here you guys whittled me down to five he wound up getting exactly what he wanted right you know? and they all yes. thought that they got what they wanted because yes. they had they had they had, they had got their victory. You always want to give them a victory, right? Give them. So you anchor. You, yeah, that's a good. Yeah, you, and you anchor wherever you do. and Start asking start, for the moon. And right. Then you can back up see, to the position. If you start at the position that you need, you're gonna, you're, they're never going right. to give it. Because it's always going to meet somewhere in the middle. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's really good. That's great advice. So, th- so, this, so then you got, you opened in 2012. Yeah. Then, okay. Yeah, May of 2012. And then what was the succession of these other places? Uh, well, we opened in, tw- in 12. We, uh, we quickly learned that people were wanting... Um, it's amazing how many large parties get, get booked around here. And people wanted a private room, and we didn't have it. And people were renting Venable out... Um, and it started to get to bother me that I was worried that we were getting rented out like Thursday, Friday and be closed to the public or, you know, then the next week we'd be rented out on Friday or the next week, Friday, Saturday. And and I thought we're not going to be able to build a regular clientele if we're always closed to yeah. private events. So I went back to Carmel and I said, you know, this is my my problem. How can we what can we do to get me a private space? And uh they had just happened to, I, I don't know if they had planned this or not, but or if it was just good fortune, but they uh, had not renewed the lease of the, the comedy store that was uh, directly adjacent to us. And they said, well, this space is open, would you like it? And uh, it was bigger than what we thought um, we needed, but it was so convenient. And, and what was also great about it was that the the same kitchen could service it. So Venable is on one side of the kitchen and B-side is on the other side of the kitchen. Yeah. We did uh, we did have to up, upgrade the kitchen a little bit to, to handle it, but it was pretty minimal. Um, and, you know, my uh, thought process is if you're paying rent, you should be open. So uh, instead of making it a private private room like we we had talked about we decided to make it a lounge and we made it kind of more attractive um pricing wise for people to rent out um so we're open it's open five nights a week uh and it's closed uh sunday and mondays um partially because uh it's the 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 menu is tapas in style it's not spanish food but it's small plates shareable plates um and so it's, we are, I only have one kind of line cook that runs all of the B-side food. And it was just so much easier to have one person come in five days a week, knock it out. It's consistent. Close two days a week. You still have Venable open. It's already, you know, you, you were going to have it uh, closed unless you were doing private parties anyway. So you're already getting five days a week production out of it. And so yeah. it just, uh, it was kind of one less headache to to close those two days a week um but yeah so we opened 
can't remember if it was late 13 or early 14. Um, so this is pretty quick succession then with... Yeah, within a year. You must have been working your year ass off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I mean, I also was doing... You know, I did all the construction uh, on B-side, just me and another guy, and uh, other than the, the electrical and the plumbing. Um, but, you know, this solid wood hickory wall we put up ourselves. We built the bar out of uh, African rosewood, which is called Babinga, uh, with a natural edge on it. We, we tiled the bar, uh, you know, put up all the sheetrock, all the walls, all the paint. Uh, everything. I'll, I'll try I mean, to get some pictures of this to post when we put this on Instagram because that's some that's no freaking joke, man. Yeah. That's a lot of damn work there. Yeah, that's it's impressive. funny if you look God. at it. So we originally we put up the hickory on the right hand side only, and uh, and we looked at it. We loved it, and but we were like, you know what? We should have gone all the way across. And so we decided, you know, screw it. We're going to go all the way across. So we we went all the way across but there there was a big seam because we had just stopped it because uh, we hadn't originally planned to go all the way across yeah. and so we had a problem so that's why we built that shelf there to hide the seam this holding those casks yeah what are those casks uh so we do barrel aged cocktails in them um nice yeah we fill them up with all different kinds of uh, cocktails i think the one going now is negroni um but we kind of rotate through them. And then we had wine on tap. So we do keg wine. Um, I built that that whole keg system, too. That was a big big lesson and uh, something I had never done before, but just had to kind of figure out. And uh, it's funny. We have a, a little glycol system in there that's just run out of a pond pump. We got it Lowe's, you know, that, that would just that would uh, pump water to a fountain out in your in your in your house but instead we put it in a bucket with glycol and ran lines up through the the tap system you see you save yourself a massive amount of money doing all this yeah i mean i mean you've got to always always in everything you do you got to say how can i do this cheaper yeah yeah and uh you don't always you don't always win that battle but you always got to try yeah Yeah. for sure for sure i mean that adage that you got to spend money to make money is is true to a degree but Spend as little as you can, right? As yeah. much as you can. That's a better way to look at it. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, okay, so then you got these two, and then them, them what? So then, uh, you know, not that long after, I think another year or so, landlord came to us and and said that they had always uh, had a real problem with the the property next door to us, which is owned by the railroad norfolk southern actually runs this railroad still they run coal up to the university power plant which is a high efficiency coal power plant and um, they have a piece of property here where where the original train station is and then they have two train cars that sit on it and um, about 10 or 15 years ago uh, a guy named mike benson opened southern rail in the station and built a huge, put a roof over it, a platform between it, and ran it for about 10 years. And the uh, the ownership of the mall uh, didn't like that they their customers used the mall parking. And there's always been this kind of parking war in Carborough where uh, Carmel doesn't, you know, I don't need to devolve into that. But 
they had their eye on it, and when Mike was uh, kind of getting uh, getting out of it, they went to uh, Mike and, and made a deal where they took over uh, his lease. So the railroad leased to Carmel, and Carmel's a property management. They don't want to run anything, so they came to me, and, and they said, uh, we want to lease it to you, and so... Uh, we just we took it over and we um, we started with the station because it was probably the least amount of work. We uh, we refinished the floors, refinished the bar, put in a new sound system, expanded the stage, uh, put in a keg cooler, glycol system, um, and a DJ booth, and then um, opened it back up as a live music venue. It's the first place that REM played outside of Georgia in nineteen eighty. What? Yeah. What year? Nineteen eighty. The year I was born. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. So uh, we Damn. have the it's cool we have the flyer and it's posted up That's in, awesome. in there. Yeah. And uh you know it's been a music venue off and on over the over the years and um I you know, growing up my parents ran a um a non profit called the Durango Society of Cultural and Performing Arts. So I grew up we would we would always put the the um musicians up at our house and they would play a concert and um it was all organized by my parents and uh so I grew up around live music and, and loving it and so I really wanted to make it a, a cool venue again and really concentrate on the music. Um which I think maybe in retrospect, I had put a little bit too much of my personal wants into it versus uh, customer wants and needs, needs of the community and things like that. So, yeah, we learned a lot of lessons. We 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 were trying to charge. We well, originally, legally, we had to be a private club because we weren't selling food, and uh, so we, you know, it was like a four dollar membership or something like that. Well, people lost their minds over it we lost tons of customers yeah you know, I, I originally thought we had built-in clientele because it had been open for 10 years and people were going there and, was, and uh when we when we started charging a membership people lost their minds and then we also had to charge for shows because we were bringing in you know the opening act uh, our first show was mipso i don't know if you know that band but they don't they're uh They've won a bunch of awards in Nashville. They're amazing local. What's what people lost because you over the four dollars because because yeah. they weren't used to paying a membership. Yeah. yeah, but the, it was a one-time. It was a one-time lifetime membership for four dollars. Really? Yeah, it was. It was a shock to me. I I had no idea that that would be a problem. We wound up, and 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 we were legally obligated to do it. It wasn't. It wasn't because we were trying to make money off the four dollars. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you don't sell food, you have to. You have to be a private club. You have to sell a membership, and uh, okay. I think members can only have like three guests, and uh, you have to keep a roll of it. And they come in and they audit it. And and we were not the only private club. I mean, there's 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 places up and down the street where this is a thing. How was it not a private club before that? When it was, it had a restaurant attached to it. It had a restaurant, and attached so to it. Okay, got, got, what got, got, wound okay. up happening was that we we opened Cross Ties, which is a barbecue restaurant. Uh huh. And we didn't have to be a private club anymore. So that was how we solved that problem. Uh, and then you could come turn your membership card in for a beer. Okay. And that way, you know, and, and we were telling people this when they were buying a membership. This is temporary. Six months once we get the restaurant open, you can turn this. You know, you're, you're basically pre-buying yourself a beer. And they just hated it. 
I, I don't wow. I don't understand it, but you know. huh. well, you just changed the. It went from yeah. one something. Yeah, they had expectations and exactly. it changed. And it, it, without understanding, it could just seem like you guys were. Oh, now they're charging. Like, yeah, okay. and that you know maybe that coupled with with charging for shows, they were like, oh, they're trying to nickel and dime us everywhere. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Used to be free shows, and yeah, it used to be free shows, but they didn't pay the musicians. Yeah, you know, and and all the money from the cover would go to the musicians, uh, and you know, p- musicians. <laughs> are tireless uh you know they work hard and they don't they're underappreciated everybody wants to come and listen to them but no one wants to pay no them to, to, to pay. listen yeah um so the musicians were very grateful because and we were putting a value on what on their profession plus you were getting better bands yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um but again you know people didn't want to didn't want to do it so uh it took us a while, but we finally just said, okay, we're going to do all free shows. We're going to have a pass the bucket. Um, you can tip the bands. What was crazy, too, <laughs> when people would, we would charge like a $5 cover, and people wouldn't pay it. They would actually turn around and leave. Uh, instead of paying a $5 cover that we explained, it goes directly to the bands. We don't even, you know, tonight they get it when they leave. Uh and they wouldn't pay it. But then we, we went to all free shows uh, with a tip bucket on the stage. Bands are making four or $500 in this tip bucket. People are just throwing money in there left and right. But they wouldn't pay a $5 cover, but they would tip $20 or $30 to a yeah. band. It just seems like a very odd uh, thing to me. But, you know, it, 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 it well, le- lesson learned. Pe- pass, yeah, because they come sober. Yeah, and then, yeah, right. that's true. And you're that's asking true. to pay versus like that's true. They don't even start have a passing drink around later in the night. Yeah, yeah, twenty bucks. This band's that's right. Freaking awesome. I didn't think of it like that. That's that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. It's like the longer you wait, probably the more they. Make. Yeah, feed them some drinks. You get more tip. Yeah. I mean, you go from being like this band's good to being convinced, you know, by by the end of the, like it's the best fucking yeah. band I've ever yeah. seen. Like, <laughs> yes, twenty bucks. Yep. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, priceless. Uh, so you got your hands full, man. That's a lot of stuff going on. It's, yeah, it's four businesses in five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, a lot it of was, hours. It was too much, and I had three. I had three kids. Uh, Good during that time. Jeez. Well, not during that time, but uh, you know, my first son was born in '08, my second '09, and then my third was born. One, I remember uh, Vanessa telling me she was pregnant uh, a month after Venable opened. Oh man. Dude, three! I got three. Dude, that's no yeah. joke. You got that's three a lot boys. to balance, my friend. Yeah. Wow. Well, it was. It proved to be too much. I mean, we wound up. Uh, I uh, I couldn't get the the barbecue thing off the ground. It was. It, uh, you know, I had. Uh, I had so much going on that I couldn't do a lot of the construction myself. So we had a lot of cost overruns. Uh, uh, it took us longer to get it open mm-hmm. than uh, than all the others. I mean, we took Venable from a shoe store to a you know 90 seat restaurant in three and a half months you know i mean that's all the plumbing all the gas lines all the permissions (laughs) we had to paint the ceiling it's like a record setting pace yeah i mean it was a change it was a change of use yeah and and, uh the the ceiling you know you could see here is is uh is has some metal but all the decking is uh you know 100 year old wood and they're they're so when it went from uh, whatever the designation was, I don't I don't remember like you know B two to A one or whatever, 
we had to then provide a two-hour uh, fire barrier between us and any other suites. So we wound up spread, having the the only way that we we wanted to leave the kind of you know urban chic uh, old you know open high ceilings. We didn't want to put a drop ceiling in, and so we, I did a ton of research and found that there's this paint that they actually paint the space shuttle with that will give you a two hour fire rating and you paint it on and my painter hated me because it has these little granules in it that kept clogging up all his 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 paint sprayers oh. but you spray it on apparently if a fire happens it expands to be like three feet thick and prevent the fire from burning oh, through for yeah. two hours yeah it's crazy cool. it's like uh and it was like $150 a gallon or something like that. Damn. But, but it solved the problem, so we got it done. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, three and a half months preventable. It took us almost a year for cross ties. And, you know, Venable was, was had its challenges in the sense that it was a 150-year-old building and, and the brick and, and all the stuff. But we were putting a restaurant into train cars. You know, we had to move one of the train car walls, so we we got we borrowed the jaws of life from the uh, rescue squad, and had to cut through the steel and into uh, and move. And we had to pulley this two-ton piece of steel, you know, as part of the train out and back in to get it around columns. And we put in a, a, a bar and uh, a whole new kitchen. We, you know, I was told that, and this is a good, this is a, a very important lesson that you know i i learned the hard way but i was essentially told that it was a functioning restaurant you know you could go in and and basically clean a couple things up maybe you know paint a little bit and but you know because they had the food there they it was a restaurant yeah okay uh i went in and there not one piece of equipment worked the uh we had to replace every piece of equipment we put in a whole new floor we had to, um, uh, not only did we have to buy all new equipment, but we had to pay to get rid of all of the broken equipment. Oh, man. Uh, and then, you know, that was, we took over in like February, so March, April comes around, May, we we uh, go to turn the air conditioning on, and the air conditioning doesn't work, get the service guys out, the coils are cracked, full replacement, 50 grand. <laughs> 50 grand 50 grand will set you back that's a heck of a surprise yeah. uh, so, so well, what, okay so all this happened like what, what and you learned like what would you do differently if you knew like oh, we, I would have now? insisted on an inspection inspection of, of all that yeah. so you get, okay. there was a lot of like weird stuff going on between who was negotiating with who and uh-huh. uh, who was involved and they didn't necessarily want people to know that i was going to be involved and i i know i know to this day i don't understand why that's that was the case but you had you had this music venue so you kind of had to no this is before we okay. even had the music this oh. is before we went over there at all yeah, got it we okay. were just okay. over here and got and it. i had done a walkthrough of it but i hadn't you know we hadn't gone in and inspected every piece of equipment we hadn't looked okay. at the, okay. you know the roof leaked <laughs> uh Good. the air conditioning didn't work most of the plumbing was broken uh, you know, it was on me, hundred percent on me. I, I, uh, there's nobody else to blame, but it definitely, it took us a lot longer and, and cost us a lot more money. And uh, did you, uh, did you, do you, because th- because you really just wanted this place to work, so you overlooked some of that, or you just probably, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, 
Yeah, and I, you know, probably also I had been riding some pretty big successes. You know, we had we opened Venable, very successful. Open okay. B side, huge success. Uh, you know, station seemed like it was going well. I mean, we had some hiccups there, but it was it was successful, and and I was just determined that this was going to work. And uh, but we never recovered from the from the opening overruns and uh, uh, you know cost overruns and, and delay. And, uh, you know, we were open for three years, and, and I just closed it uh, two months ago. Two months ago. Yeah. Okay, I was wondering. Okay, I, I thought it had been pretty recent. Um, yeah. Okay, so so three years and just – did you know – I mean, looking back, you think you knew – like, did you know before then that was probably going to happen, or did you just keep thinking maybe we'll turn the corner? I, I thought we'd turn the corner. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a pretty optimistic person. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it can bite you in the ass. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I always thought that it was just, you know, a couple of tweaks here, a couple of tweaks there, hold out. You know, restaurant takes three years to establish itself. Uh-huh. So um, that was a good rule of thumb, like three years to establish generally. I think if, you, if you're if you not at a minimum breaking even or making turning at least some profit after three years, you need to take a big step back and reconsider. So yeah. this is a – that's interesting. I mean, you've got a uh, – Okay, so you serve barbecue mm-hmm. here in a here in the South, where barbecue's yeah. a staple of our. And you are in a freaking badass location there, old yeah. train station, yeah, um, downtown Carborough, heart of Carborough. Yeah, so like intuitively, you think this should work. I mean, because you knew what you were doing, you already had two successes, you knew how it wasn't your first, yep. first uh, rodeo. But what do you think? You think a lot of it was just because of the all the stuff on the front end just or what else do you think there was definitely definitely had a lot to do with that it had uh some to do with the fact that i'd overextended myself probably yeah um uh, we lost money for about a year and then and then we spent about two years breaking even um and you can't you just can't break even yeah you know it's you're either growing or you're dying yeah and um you know, I think it was a combination of things. It was it, there was there were uh, organizational changes that we had made. We um, we had a lot of uh, management managerial overhead that we probably didn't need, but because I couldn't, I felt like uh, you know I was bouncing back and forth between the two spaces, and even though they're literally you can walk yeah. to one from the other, you're still not physically in the in the space. Um, and then we just, I don't know, we just didn't ever get the, uh, the support from, from the, the community. And, um, even though we had, we had awesome barbecue, yeah. um, one of the, one of the challenges, uh, I, uh, I kind of refused to use, uh, commodity meats you know mm-hmm. i i didn't want to support that industry i i don't believe in it so we we had um all kind of local um you know well cared after animal products you know between our briskets and our yeah and our pork and and that is more expensive just by nature and so um people would come in expecting a barbecue plate that they get you know at some you know barbecue plate which there's nothing wrong with it i mean that's yeah, you know that's Southern barbecue culture, which is great. But you know we were charging more. Yeah, uh, we had to. 
because we were paying more and uh you could taste the difference i mean we oh, yeah. we would uh every once in a while we would cook a commodity uh, uh, you know we had a smoker that would cook about 120 pork butts at a, at a time and we would cook commodity pork every once in a while and and you could just it just the whole restaurant smelled of it it yeah. was awful yeah it, yeah so uh you know between that and have you know we had, everything was made in house all the sides all the you know the from the hush puppies on down um mm. you know okra collards uh yeah, and then we had higher-end specialty sides like pickled mushrooms and different kinds of pickled vegetables and all of that stuff, um, which added added cost to it. And uh, did know. you? Do, I mean, did, uh, did you have to do? Uh, you, you must have had to educate customers a lot on that so they understood. Yep. Because that's a. I mean, a lot of people are looking for that now. You know, there's there's more people that are looking for local, non-commodity, non-mass-produced. One one thing that was tricky for us um, was that when you when when somebody's making a, a decision of where to go to eat, yeah, right. You look in your your local area magazine or something for to to decide where you want to go. You see barbecue that that customer's already made up their mind. You know, either first of all, either they want barbecue or they don't. Yeah, you know. So if they want barbecue, they've already made up their mind. I'm going to have ribs before they even get in the door. Yeah, you know, so we although we had to find a different uh, route to get that message across because once the people came in the door, uh, they had already decided on their meal. Yeah, and it was very difficult to get like a three tiered meal out of people. So we we had we sold very few appetizers and very few desserts. Okay, because people think of barbecue, they think of big portions. Yeah, so. Even even with the the kind of correct what I would I would consider the correct amount of food, you're still eating pork and two sides, and you probably haven't sweet tea, and um, you know it's very rich, heavy food, and so we struggled, you know. And I think that restaurateurs, you just you got to know how to get uh, apps on the table. You got to know how to get desserts on the table, and um, yeah, hmm. that was the problem. So. Um Okay, so you close that. So now you, but you still got the music thing. So yep. how do you get? Do you have to go back to membership? Uh, we do, but uh, all of the shows are free, and okay. so uh, and and people also, you know, there's not the there's not as much transition as there was in the beginning. Okay, you know, the the station was uh, uh, and Southern Rail to some extent were these uh, kind of crazy parties, you know, and it was. It was just a, a whole scene in itself, and uh, a lot of those people left, and and so there were there was there was that kind of group of people that were there, and and you know they loved it because it was crazy and it was a party all the time, and it was you know it was like the parents were never home kind of place, and so people that didn't want to be in that scene just never went there. Mm-hmm. They just kind of had written it off as kind of dirty and grungy and and um, and wild. And so when we took it over, we essentially wound up having to kind of fire that crowd because we were going to be a well-managed place that actually, you know, mopped the floor and, you know, cleaned the bar top. Uh, And it took us a while to slowly get the community to realize that, uh, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Time out for a quick 
Yeah. You need to you need to address them. Uh, do you have? Is that okay? All good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, we'll pick up where we left off. That's this is the uh, the life of the always putting out fires, right? <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Um, Never are you good? Are you day. good for a couple more? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got cool. About thirty minutes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, where were we? I lost I lost my train of thought. We were talking about the station and the customer base. Oh yeah, 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 rebuilding right. it and yeah. um, and you know it's kind of balanced out now. Some of the old crowd has come back. Some of the new crowd has stayed, and uh, people are liking the no the uh, no cover charge model. Better. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, we are going to have to go back to being a membership, but um, hopefully, you know, people are are kind of happy with where it is and used to it a little bit more and there's not that huge transition going on where uh i think you know mike was really uh i, I you know he he was admired by the by the community and they were they felt like somehow he had been wronged in uh oh, yeah. in how carm you know carmel was kind of perceived as this corporate you know the big bad corporation taking over the little guy and yeah and it really wasn't the case i mean he was in a lot of trouble financially and they they kind of helped him out bailed him out got him you know he didn't i don't think he let he walked away with much but he didn't uh walk away with a lot of debt so okay uh, okay but you know people didn't don't know that and they don't want they don't want that answer they want to be mad at something so well yeah i mean i would imagine and especially in a town like chapel hill or carborough that i that that concept of big guy pushing the little guy around probably resonates yeah. pretty loud. <laughs> yeah. So, and for those listening, I mean, so we're, you know, if you're familiar with the University of North Carolina, the Tar Heels, that's Chapel Hill. And I mean, Carver's like, we're like on top of Chapel Hill. I mean, I don't They've even grown know. They've grown together. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what the, I drove in here coming up. Like Supposedly, the, like, which is the, where the, yeah, the delineation is like the train tracks. Okay. I was going to yeah. ask if that was all right. So, but, so, I mean, you're essentially in a university town, um, more or less is that does is that a the university and the students does that impact your business a lot or is that as are you more yeah absolutely yeah okay yeah, we slow down uh, about 30 percent in the summer okay okay and our worst our worst 30-day period is actually not a calendar month it's the 15th of august to the 15th of september is our our worst period of of the year 15th of august is that when everybody's coming back they're kind of you know who knows exactly what it is but yeah they're coming back they're kind of parents are getting their kids in routines for getting back to school they're going on a last minute vacation they just came back from vacation spent too much money i was gonna say they yeah. probably everybody's like school <laughs> starting tuition yeah. like i don't got any money to go you know, the eat. professors <laughs> are trying to get their their curriculum up and running the students swear they're going to study this this time around and spend the first couple of weeks in the library and yeah, decide yeah. they need a drink and Got you know, it. that starts to loosen uh end of september early october okay and then uh and then we start getting into holiday holiday parties around you know november or december uh it slows down a little bit right at the first of the year but then then it ramps back up and our best month is uh february which is odd because it's it's our best month huh. um for revenue and it's the sh- shortest month of the year yeah 28 days um but we do a lot of university um direct billing so we do uh when they're recruiting um when they're recruiting professors when they're trying to uh recruit grad students doctors 
fellowships, all that kind of stuff. They always bring them out to dinner. They bring them out to Venable. Yeah. Yeah, okay, a, um, direct billing, huh? Do they do yeah. a lot of events here at B side or a fair amount? Yeah, okay. yep. And we have um, we have you know we've over the years we've done a number of of holiday parties for people you know each year year after year, um, which has been great. And um, you know the university they don't pay as fast as you'd like but it, you can't turn down that business either you know a lot of my a lot of some of the the managers you know always harping on me about the fact that you know they come in they eat and you got to give them credit basically for 30 days before you get the check but yeah you can't you can't shy away from people wanting to spend money in the restaurant yeah yeah uh, let me ask you something one more thing i want to ask you about is you know you mentioned um spend money to make money but you know better look at it spend as little as you have to um it it makes me think a little bit about since you you've had the experience with culinary school i'm I'm curious your opinion on this now because edu- you know the cost of education everywhere is, is has increased so dramatically uh if you were to go about it now do you still think there's a lot of value in the time and cost of culinary school versus maybe a more of a mentor apprentice kind of you know like what you got out of being over in Italy and up in Boston like can you learn it that way do you still think there's a big value in taking the time and money to invest in a culinary school I think that if you're going to go to a culinary school you should go to the CIA in uh, Hyde Park they have a couple of campuses now okay um, I think that I know that the CIA has changed substantially since I was there yeah. So when I was there, the uh, president was uh, a guy named Fer- uh, either Ferdinand or Fritz Metz. Uh-huh. And he was an old German guy and was a firm believer in Escoffier and classical cooking. And um, they were training fine dining chefs at that time and, yeah. and restaurant owners and, and management. He, uh, When he left, a guy named Tim Ryan took over, who's a CMC certified master chef. And he had just gone to the Wharton Business School uh, and gotten an advanced degree, kind of continuing ed. And when he came in, he changed everything. I mean, they had, he, you know, and, and he did a lot of good things, too. They, they've expanded the school enormously, but it's expanded through um, partnerships, you know, Marriott, Hilton, Heinz Ketchup. And, gotcha. You know, there's the Heinz Plaza and the Marriott Continuing Education Center and the, this and the that. And what I've heard, and I, you know, I haven't been back other than to just eat, you know, once or twice in uh, ten years or so. But uh, what I've heard is they've they've kind of gone from a culinary school that's focused on fine dining to a culinary school that's focused on churning out uh, line cooks for uh, Caesar's Palace and okay, you know, Vegas and hotels and things like that. Uh, I think either way. The, the value of going to culinary school is that you get to spend two or four years completely dedicated to learning your craft. I mean, if you are going to spend the money and the time, you should be in the library. You should be spending, you know, studying what your, your teachers are teaching you. And uh, there's an, an enormous amount of information there for the collecting if you're paying attention and you're going to collect it. Yeah. If you're not going to do that, don't waste the money because there's no point. Yeah. Um, and then the second part of it is the networking part. You you go to sc- you're at school mm-hmm. with people that are about to leave and go into the industry, and 
you're going to make friends and relationships with them and they're going to help find you jobs in the future they might uh, you might partner up with them you might you know you you just you 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 join the community uh much faster because you're in, in such a densely populated area of chefs that yeah. are going to have some impact on the future um but i think you know i i I know for a fact that when you graduate from culinary school, you should not consider yourself a chef and you should go and work your ass off in many, many, many restaurants before you decide to leave. You know, and somebody told me this once and it didn't resonate with me until I opened a, a restaurant myself. But once you open a place and you're the chef and you're in charge, the learning becomes much more difficult. You, you're not, going to go to another restaurant and learn some stuff and go to another restaurant and learn some stuff you're here everything you've learned that's you've capped it yep right now you can you can self-teach you can go out and eat at other restaurants and you can do research online and you can buy cookbooks and and learn that way but that is a much more muted way of learning Mm. and you're not learning from another person in a mentorship capacity so you're not learning things like leadership um you know management of people, how to run a team, how to, how to effectively work with other people. Um, you know, and, and that's a big, a big component of training the, the managers here is that they're not just managing, they're leading people and they need to be set the example and, um, you know, be somebody that people want to work with and, you know, and for. Yeah, leading by example, such a key versus telling people what to do. Yeah, people bought into what you're doing and showing them the way. And get, yeah, you've got to, you know, you can't. Uh, you got to lead by example and not lead by position. Mm-hmm. Yes, know, so that's a great way to put it. Try and manage because, I'm well, manager, I said so, so and I'm so the so. boss. Yeah, you know? right. And that just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It'll work for certain things for a little while sometimes, but in the long run, it'll always come and bite you in the butt. It'll work long enough until that person you're managing finds another job. Yeah, well, they walk out in the middle of the you know, <laughs> Easter brunch. Yeah, people don't put up with that now, no. uh, as they should. Right. Um, well, okay, so, so, well, gosh, I mean, congrats on what you've done. And, I mean, I would include, you know, having the uh, – being able to make the decision to close cross ties. I mean, I'm sure that was hard as hell, but yeah. I bet in some ways it frees you up to focus, you know, on the other three and may help you, you know, even elevate them even more. And, um, certainly what you've learned from that, you'll take into your next projects and, you know, be even better. So yeah. it's a, you got to profit from your mistakes, growth opportunity. Yeah. Right. It's a growth, yeah. growth opportunity in a lot of ways. Um, but I mean, you've clearly built, you know, a really successful, collection of businesses here and uh established a really good brand for your your name and and uh your businesses and what you're doing and dude i man i'm i mean this is pretty awesome glad you uh had some time as you were telling me recently to go hang out with some buddies in spain and probably reset a little bit so uh yeah it was nice to get out of get out of the pocket get outside and you know go eat somewhere Drink some wine and, and blow off some steam. That's good. Three kids, three businesses, dude. You got a lot going on. So, uh, well, this is this is cool, man. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to Absolutely. do this. Absolutely. Thanks for coming. Appreciate the chance to serve you all, man. I mean, we're just so excited to have the opportunity to serve folks like you and your, your crew, Drew. So, um, You've been with us since the beginning. Yeah, yeah man. All, I know. Everywhere. I know. Everywhere we've gone. So, it's been great. We love it. We've, uh, you know, the 
I remember when uh, we first opened, we had a handwritten manager's <laughs> log. Yeah. And uh, I remember when when we found out about fly notes, it was it was a game changer. It was oh, awesome. good. Yeah. I'm so glad I get to hear it, that. You know, I get three, four fly notes every day. Oh <laughs> man, I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah, man. It's a good communication tool. Very sure. cool. Well, we're glad to be a small small part of helping make things a little bit easier for y'all. Yeah. Um, well, cool. This has been great, man. Appreciate it very much. Um, we need to get. Uh, do you guys? Um, do you do you have pictures of? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, we use yeah. for social media and stuff. I want to grab some because what I'll do is when I post this, I'll um, I'll put it on the podcast, but I always post a link about each episode on uh, Instagram and I, as many pictures as I can get would be be cool. Absolutely, yeah. Show off what y'all are doing. All right, man. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll have another one soon. Thanks, Drew. Thank you.